Welcome to the Simple Church Podcast. We'd like to thank you for taking a few moments out of your day to listen to what God is doing here in Reynoldsburg, Ohio. We hope today's message will be encouraging and uplifting to you. To learn more about Simple Church, maybe you'd like to be our guest for a service, please visit our website at www.simplechurchohio.com. There you'll find more information about us, location, service times, and even online giving opportunities. And now, here's today's message. I'm pumped about that. I hope you're just as excited as I am. I cannot wait to get into our new space and, uh, and worship as one big church in, uh, in one facility, so, or one service, so it'll be awesome. Well, here we go. We're going to wrap up today's series, or this, this four-week series today with a, on margin. And uh, the last couple weeks, here's where we've been. We, we spent a little bit of time introducing it the first week, but then we looked at scheduling margin, and then we, last week we talked about financial margin and how important it is. But today we're going to talk about a margin that you may not have considered, and that is moral margin. Now, at the beginning of each one of these, I've asked questions, and I'm going to ask you another question today, and it requires some participation, but just know that I'm going to ask you the question, and then I want you to think about it before you answer. So, so I'm going to ask it. Don't answer just yet, and then I'll ask you again, and you can answer. All right? Makes sense. How many of you know someone whose life has been wrecked by sexual sin? Don't answer. Don't point either. That's not nice, okay? How many of you know somebody that, that you would say, all right, may, you know, porn usage has maybe overtaken their life and has, has maybe wrecked a relationship that they're in? Or maybe, maybe you know somebody who had sex prior to marriage and they got pregnant and now they're, they're stuck with the question of, do I have an abortion? Do I, do I marry somebody that I'm not really in love with? I mean, this was not really the result of a loving relationship. But this, or, or, or do I try to raise this child as a single parent? Maybe you know somebody that, that, that as a result of a one-night stand wound up with an STD that they're now struggling to deal with. Or, or maybe they were promiscuous before they got married. And so as a result of being in this marriage now, they carry a lot of baggage. And, and that baggage leads to confusion. It leads to comparison. Ultimately, it leads to fear. Or maybe you know somebody who's just outright had an affair in their relationship. And they tell you, they didn't intend to do it. It just kind of happened. How many of you would now say, without pointing, do not point, would say, you know somebody that sexual sin has wrecked their life. Would you just throw your hand up and say, now just take a moment, look around. Look around at all the hands that are up. Doesn't mean that you're the one that did it. You just know somebody, right? That's a whole lot of people in this room that you know. The truth of the matter is that that is so normal. But what's interesting about it is there's nobody that ever sets out to have that happen in their life. Nobody ever sets out to say, well, you know what my my five-year goal is in my marriage? I'm going to have an affair in the next five years. Nobody has that as a goal to say, I'm going to get addicted to pornography. I'm going to allow it to skew, skew my, my image of other people, my worldview. Uh, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go out and I'm going to do that. Or, or I'm going to go and I'm going to go get AIDS. Like nobody has a plan to do that. Nobody says I'm going to have a, a sexual experience that's going to cost me my job. Nobody says that they want to have that kind of experience that will cost them their marriage. Nobody says, well, I'm not that really fond of my kids. I'm going to go out here and do this so that way... It, cost me a relationship with my kids, puts, puts emotional distance between you and your kids, or maybe even physical proximity, distance between you and your kids. No, nobody ever thinks like that. Nobody ever says that's what they want to have happen, and yet it happens all the time. And here's the thing. On the, on the other side of that experience, the most common statement said on the other side of sexual tragedy is, I never thought it would happen to me. Never thought it would happen to me. Look at what's going on in the news right now. 
Now, I'm not weighing in on this guy's guilt or not, but Judge Kavanaugh, this guy is all over the news. He's all over everybody's social media. It's all everybody is talking about. Because this guy, sometime, some years ago, lacked moral margin in his life as a young man. And as a result, if he's guilty of it, as a result, he's now having a public humiliation. His marriage is now under stress. His kids are having to bear the shame of, of, of the public accusations. And I'll bet he could say, I never thought it would happen to me. In fact, everybody who's ever said anything like that, they all have one thing in common. They lacked moral margin. So what is that? What is moral margin? Moral margin is putting distance between you and temptation. It's putting distance between you. It's not hanging out at the line. It's, it's creating a margin. It's putting a buffer. It's putting some space between you and that which tempts you. James 1, verse 13 through 15 has a lot to say about temptation. It says, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Now, by the way, you might have missed that opportunity to say amen right there. See, that's good news. God's not the one who's tempting you. He's good. He's a good, good father. He loves you and he gives you good things. He's not the one that's leading you that way. Check out what it is. It says, but each one is tempted when, uh-oh, by his own evil desire. Listen, you need to understand that each one of us is born with a sin nature within us. We are born with something inside of us that is out of alignment with God. And it wants to drag us away. It wants to take us towards what we want instead of what he wants. And that misalignment causes us to be tempted. By our own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. It says, then, after desire has conceived. Now, this is interesting. When I talk to a lot of people about whatever sin they've experienced, especially sexual sin, they, they, they talk about sin like it was a ditch that they accidentally fell into. No. Sin's not a ditch you accidentally fell into. That ditch exists because you, you, you spotted the land, you went out and picked an X marks a spot, drove to the store, got yourself a shovel, made a plan to go dig a ditch, and then you just laid in it. That's what happened. This is when, when desire is conceived, there's a process to it. It gives birth to fun, to partying, to life. No, it says to sin. Sin is simply missing the mark. Which mark is that? God's mark. God's best for your life. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. In other words, it's a sin you just let hang out for a while. That thing is grown. It gives birth to death. When you get dragged away and enticed by the sin that is inside of you. That word enticed is originally written in the Greek. Because you know your Bible was originally written, the Old Testament, the first 39 books are written in Hebrew. The last half of it, the last 27, are written in Greek. And so that means that, that your Bible that we read today was translated into English for you. And that word there, this Greek word, delazo, it means to entrap, to allure, entice, or hook. Now that word hook is a fishing term. In, in other words, it means the enemy of your soul is sitting in a boat with some bait and tackle. And this dude has picked his time 
to load it up with some, to load up that hook with something that you are going to be attracted to, and he's tossing it out in the water, and he is patiently just waiting on you to bite. He's trying to hook you, to try to ensnare you. He wants to get you just like a fish, and we fall for it because we lack moral margin in our life. If you remember the movie Finding Nemo, he had, little Nemo had margin. That whole, that whole community had margin, and they knew what it looked like was don't leave the reef. Anybody know what I'm talking about here? All right, all right, good. I'm just making sure. Y'all are quiet this morning. Last week it was really quiet. I was talking about money. This week we're talking about sex, and everybody's like, oh, I don't know what to do. Little Nemo, they got margin. You don't leave the reef. Because if you leave the reef, that's where you might get caught. And you know what happens in the story. He and his friends are on the edge, and they're looking out into the open sea, and his dad comes up and accuses him of doing something, and Nemo's like, I wasn't even going to go. I wasn't even going to leave the area. But because of that altercation, what does Nemo do? He goes out into the open sea. He, re he removes the margin from his life, that space that was the buffer between him and what was safe and what was unsafe. And he goes out in the middle of the sea, and you all know what he did. He touched the butt. That's right. <laughs> now, if you've seen the movie, you know that they were calling it a butt, but it was a boat. And as a result of touching the butt, he got captured. He got dragged away and caught. And I'll bet Nemo's saying exactly what many of us say. I never thought it would happen to me. I never thought it would happen. No moral margin. Now, when I start talking about moral margin, especially in, in relation to sexual temptation, people ask this question because they want to know what I'm talking about. They want to know what I mean specifically. And once you define what you mean specifically, because this is such a difficult area for us, we all want to know, well, how close can I get to it? Like, how far is too far? Like, where exactly is the line? Because we want to we wanna honor God, but we want to do everything that we're allowed to do, whatever's permissible, know what we can get away with. But you know, this is like the only area in, of our, in our lives where we behave that way. I don't know, and that's just crazy to me. Why would you get so close to destruction? See how close you can get to that thing that's going to destroy your life. It's like grabbing a gun, loading a few bullets in it, spinning the chamber. Click. That's dangerous. I don't know anybody that wants to do that. I don't know anybody that sticks their head in an alligator's mouth and says, I wonder how long I can hold this here before he clamps down. I don't know anybody that encounters a copperhead snake and says, man, this thing looks like fun to play with. Here, snakey, snakey. No, they know that if they get bitten, they're going to die. They don't mess with the snake. We don't do that. And yet with sexual temptation, we try to get as close as we possibly can. We, we try to get there. And 1 Corinthians 6, verse 18 says this about sexual temptation. It says to flee from sexual immorality. It means run from it. Don't, don't hang out with it. Don't see how close you can get to it. It means run. That word in the Greek is the word fugo. It means to run away, to shun, escape, or to distance oneself. Put a buffer between you. In other words, run, forest, run. Get away. Don't hang out with it. You can't handle it. It's interesting, though, as you read the Bible, it doesn't say, hey, flee gossiping. Or, hey, flee overeating. It doesn't say those things. 
It says flee or run from sexual immorality. It's important. Don't ask how close you can be. Wise people put margin between themselves and temptation. Now I can already hear the questions. Aaron, why are you zeroing in on sexual temptation? Like, because this message on margin, moral margin, you can actually apply it to any area of your life that you're tempted to, to create margin and space between you and that thing. I'll tell you why I'm zeroing in on it. Because I don't think there's any other sin that we can commit that is as destructive as sexual sin. You say, aren't all sins alike? Well, yes and no. Yes and no. Biblically, as far as God's standard goes, a sin is a sin is a sin. There's no ranking on them. Like, this is the worst one, and this is the, the, the smallest one. Like, no, it's, there's none of that. Every sin that we commit will separate us in relationship with God. That's the truth. But where they're different, where one is more destructive, is that not all sins have the same consequences, like real-world consequences. Consider this. If you told, like, a little white lie, probably not going to get a whole lot of consequences for that. If you were caught speeding down the highway, there's not a whole lot of consequence for that. You broke the law, you got a ticket, you pay your fine. Or maybe you gossip, and you gossip so much that you might lose a friend or two. But sexual sin, sexual sin is one of those things that if you do it, you could lose your job, you could lose your marriage, you lose your kids, you could lose your life through an STD, you risk your self-esteem and your reputation. One sexual sin can cost you the rest of your life. All other sins are outside the body. But sexual sin is a sin against your very own body. Verse 19 says, do you, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you receive from God? Like, don't you realize that that back in the day, God's spirit used to dwell in something called a tabernacle. It was a tent. And inside of that tent was a place called the Holy of Holies. And God's Shekinah glory, his visible presence, would be in that space. And that's how he dwelt with man, was in the Holy of Holies. But when Jesus died on the cross, the moment he died, he paid the price for you and I that God no longer needed to dwell in tents. It says, in fact, when Jesus died, the veil was ripped from the top to the bottom, and God's spirit no longer needed the tent. He could dwell in us because of what Jesus did for us. There's no temple that God needed to dwell in anymore. There's no house that he needs to be in. Our bodies are now the house and the temple of the Holy Spirit. And as a result of that, he says, you're not your own. You were bought with a price. In other words, what Jesus did paid a price for you. He paid a price for you. He said, I love you this much. He spread his arms and he died. He died because if he didn't, you and I would have to die an eternal death in separation from God. There's nothing we could do to earn forgiveness. There's nothing we could do to earn heaven. But Jesus could pay that price for us, and he did. And as a result, we were bought back. We were redeemed from the penalty of sin and death. We were bought back. So we've been bought with a price. He says, therefore, because of this, in other words, therefore, because God loves you so much, therefore, because you've received so much grace, because you've, you, you are a recipient of God's love, therefore, honor God with your body. 
And many of you, I'm sure you say, Aaron, my body's my own. Don't I get to do with it what I want? Not if you're a Christ follower. If you're a Christian, that means you've submitted yourself, your whole self, to the lordship. In other words, his way of doing things, the lordship of Christ. And he says, that's not my best for you. Honor me with your body. Jesus paid that price for you. Because your body is a dwelling place of the spirit, we need to honor God with our body. Now, the problem is, is that culture tempts us to be sexually immoral. They have manipulated and changed the way we think about sexuality. It teaches us that, that, that any way we want to express ourselves is not wrong. Say, so, well, everybody's doing it. Well, I mean, it feels good, so if it makes you happy, it can't be that bad. Like, like, like we're just animals after all. Or my favorite, when I talk to, to guys about the Christ followers, understand if you're not a Christian, this is not for you. I'm not talking to you. I'm saying those of you who say you're a Christ follower, this is for you. Christian guys stand in front of me and say, well, Aaron, you know, I'm, I mean, I'm having sex with my girlfriend because, I mean, you don't buy a pair of shoes without trying them on. You know, I got a test drive before I go and get married. We have these standards that culture has set. We buy into it. And the sad thing is that this sin sticks with you. It's painful, it's emotional, and it's deeply spiritual. Paul says this in Ephesians 5. He says, but among you, the you being Christians, by the way, Christ followers, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality. Now, the challenge here is, of course, when we're looking at this, is that the world's standards are so much lower than God's. His standards are so high that he's like, not even a hint. You say, what is a hint? Little Johnny wanted to go to a movie. Little Johnny approaches his mom and says, Mom, I want to go to a movie this afternoon. She says, what's the name of the movie? And he tells her. Mom, being a wise person, looks it up on the internetmoviedatabase.com, where she has the app, goes to the parents section and sees that the movie Little Johnny wants to see has a few naked butts in it. So she says to little Johnny, hey, there's a few naked butts in this movie. I don't think you should see it. And little Johnny says, oh, mom, it's just a few. It should be okay. Mom says, okay, you can go see the movie, and I'm going to make your favorite brownies to send with you. Little Johnny is now very excited. He has a few chores to do, so he goes to do them, and as his mom promised, whenever he goes to leave, mom delivers a plate of brownies to him. And little Johnny goes to grab one and pulls it up to his face and says, Mom, they, they smell a little different. And she said, oh, yeah. She said, you know what I did? I, I, I made your brownies the way that you like them, but I also went out into the backyard and found a little dog poo. And I just put, I just put a hint. I just put a little bit of it in your brownies. Little Johnny didn't eat the brownies, the end. That's the end of the story. God's standard is that there not even be a hint of sexual immorality. Not even a little bit. Why would you want a little bit? For this word sexual immorality, when you look at the Greek word, it's the Greek word pornea. It's where we get our word porn from or pornography. And it literally means this. It's translated this. It means any sexual arousal outside of marriage as defined by God as a man and a woman. I didn't write the Bible. I know that's wildly unpopular. I get it. But this is God's standard for our sexuality and for our lives. 
He says, not even a hint of it. Well, but, but what if I just dress a little provocatively? Is that a hint? Tell me. What if, what if we, in our dating relationship, do everything but, you know, like consummate it, like, you know, a little naked twister? Is that okay? Is that a hint? What about reading Cosmo magazine, five ways to drive your boyfriend crazy in bed? Is that a hint? God's standards say not a hint. And yet these questions and these lifestyles are so normal, even within the church. Even within the church. You know what else is normal when it comes to sex? Divorce, pain, regret, guilt, shame, insecurity, fear, lust. All these things come along with it. They all come, out, come with it. And yet, we continue. It's normal. Why? Because our line regarding sexual temptation is in the wrong place. We've moved our line right up close to where the poisonous snake is. How close can I get to it without getting bitten? How close can I be in this situation? I mean, we know what's on the other side of the line. We know that over there is wrong, but we just get, get as close to it as we can and we walk the line. We're too close. We need margin. So for the next few minutes, what I'm going to do is I'm going to share with you some things that you're probably going to shake your head at and say, no way. Those are, those, are, those are too weird. Admittedly, they are weird. But these are some ways that you can build in margin. And they're weird because normal isn't working. Normal isn't working. Normal today is that 65% of men and 55% of women by the age of 40 will have had an affair in their marriage. You put those numbers together, it's somewhere around 80% of marriages that will be affected by sexual sin. 80%. That's unacceptable, and yet that is what normal is. So we have to do something different. We need moral margin. And when we don't have it, we cross the line time after time after time. Culture has moved that line. They've removed the margin in our lives. They've drawn us to move it a little closer. And we ask questions like, well, is it wrong to enjoy, I'm married, is it wrong to enjoy talking to somebody who's not my spouse about sex? Is it wrong to look forward to time with another person that's not my spouse? Is it wrong to leave somebody of the opposite sex who's not my spouse gifts and notes, to share with them intimate feelings or experiences in my marriage? Is it okay to do those things? It, listen, every time we do these things, might as well load the bullets up and spin the barrel. Here's snaky, snaky. Here's snaky, snaky. And on the other side of living in this way, you have the question of, or the statement of, I never thought it happened to me. I never thought it would happen to me. We have no moral margin and no distance between us and temptation. So here's the weird things I'm going to share with you about redrawing the line. Change where the line exists. First thing I'm going to tell you to do is to dress for spiritual success. Listen, around my house, my daughter says, modest is hottest. And she's right. It's right. Ladies, you don't have to give it all away. You don't got to give it all away. 
Guys, you don't, if you're walking around the gym, you don't need to show it all off. That's not how you want to snag somebody in a relationship anyway. You want them to be in love with you and your heart. Because let me tell you something. All that about your physical nature can change in a moment. And if they're on board with, with you because of how you look, guess what? That's a very shallow relationship indeed. And they will use you up like a dirty rag and toss you to the side when they're done with you. I know that's not popular. I get it. But dress in a way to bring glory to God, not to hook a spouse. Second thing, keep four feet on the floor. If you're in a dating relationship, keep four feet on the floor. Man, don't be trying to do your Bible study in bed with each other. That's just not smart, man. Stay vertical, all right? Keep four feet on the floor. If you're going to get together and watch a movie together, that's cool. Make sure all four feet are on the floor. Because let me tell you something. When a shaved leg and a hairy leg meet, there's something that just happens. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Keep four feet on the floor. <laughs> no sleepovers or playing house. Listen, this is so important. You know, you, you tell yourselves a lie. Oh, we're just going to cuddle. No, you're not. You just negotiated your way out of all the margin that you have. Y'all need to get yourself a curfew. And that curfew needs to be about an hour before you intend to go to bed. Because when you go to bed is when you're tired. When you're tired, you make bad choices. So go to bed. Get a curfew and honor it. Sleep in your own bed. Don't stay over late. Don't do it. And don't play house. Listen, can I just tell you and urge you about the danger of living with someone prior to being married to them? There's danger there. Because what you're doing is you're going to enter into a relationship that neither of you has a covenant relationship with you on with each other on. You've not made a commitment before God. And when things don't go well, you're just going to walk out on it. And what you're doing over and over again by living with somebody and then, walk, then, then, then walking away and going back and doing it with somebody else, you're learning to practice what's known as divorce. You get into a rhythm of that, and then when you get married, what you've practiced is what you will do. Your marriage will become just as disposable as every other relationship you've been in. I'm just encouraging you. I love you. That's all. I'm not mad at you. I'm just trying to help you. No sleepovers. Don't play house. Next one, no tonsil hockey. <laughs> no tonsil hockey. Listen, no making out. I'm, I'm just trying to help you. I'm trying to help you create some boundaries, trying to help you create some margin. This is not a thus saith the Lord. This is a thus suggesteth Aaron. Okay? <laughs> Because when you start making out, things get a little hot and heavy, you are going to inflame some passions that are going to be hard to quell and to calm down. Kissing brings your bodies close together and just moves a whole train moving in a different direction. So, so no making out. I just married a couple here recently. They hadn't kissed until they got engaged, and then they got married two weeks later after they got engaged. Let me tell you something. You say, that's weird. Yes, it is. And it's incredibly honoring, too. Yep. Incredibly honoring. I'll keep moving because I can tell you guys love that one. <laughs> Avoid dangerous places. You know where these are for you. I don't need to call them all out and call all these places dangerous because one dangerous place to you may not be a dangerous place to another. But a bar is definitely a dangerous place. Probably has been for a lot of us. It's, it's where, where you start drinking, you, you get a little tipsy, get a little excited, you start making decisions you don't need to make. 
start compromising a little bit. It's just not where you want to be. It's not what you want to do. Or maybe, maybe it's not the bar for you. Maybe, maybe it's just private chats. Maybe you need to stay out of those, those secret chats that you have, whether you're married or not. For others of you, you know, the gym is a difficult place for you to be. Because, man, you, I mean, you, you really struggle in there. You, you used to pick up people there or used to get picked up there, and that's just a hard place for you to be. Avoid those dangerous places for you. You know what those places are. The next one's monitor internet activity. Again, I get it that this is strange. For you to say, man, Aaron, you want me to monitor my internet activity? I don't have a problem. No, you may not have a problem today, but margin is not something you want to try to get when you've got a problem. You want to have margin in place before you have a problem. You want to have space between you and that area that is going to destroy your life. Monitoring your internet connectivity or activity keeps you honest to somebody. There's an app that I use on my phone and on my laptop called Covenant Eyes. And it's installed there. My wife is my accountability partner. She gets an email. That's right. She gets an email that tells her everything that I've clicked on and everything that I've looked at clear across my phone and all of its apps. There's nothing secret I have. I don't want to have a secret life. I've lived a secret life before. It was terrible. I want to be honest. I want to be open. Because the day that I'm tempted, I want to know that somebody's going to get that report and somebody's going to call me out on it. It's just important. I know it's hardcore. I get it. Around my house, we talk about those things as gateways. And you've got to guard or close gateways. If the gateway can't be guarded, then you've got to close it. Some people can. I can't. Be wise. Create margin by monitoring your internet activity. Next one is avoid time alone with the wrong people. Now, as a married person, as a married guy, I would tell married guys, avoid time alone with the opposite sex and vice versa to you ladies. Avoid time alone. But here in this day and age, the wrong person doesn't necessarily have to be somebody that's the opposite sex. It could just be somebody that's not really a fan of your morals. It could be somebody that's not a fan of your God, a fan of your marriage. So I'm just going to put a, put a broad statement, avoid time alone with the wrong people, the people that are going to drag you away from God's best for your life. For me, I'm not alone with a woman at all. There's not a chance. There are some, sometimes we have meetings here in our church and people will kind of drift out. I've come walking out of this space to find out I was the only one here and there was another woman here. Do you know what I do? I've got cameras in this place. Some of you guys don't even know where they're at, but they're here in this building. I know where they are. And I plant myself firmly in front of a camera. And I say, listen, you need to understand I'm standing here because there's a camera right here. I love my wife. Have you seen her? She's hot. <laughs> I don't want to lose her. And I love my marriage, so I'm going to stay right here. And if you're married, I love your marriage enough to tell you, you need to get on out of here and go out that back door and get into your car. I'm going to wait about 10 minutes. Because I ain't walking out that back door into a back lot with a woman by myself. You say, Aaron, that's a little extreme. Did I mention how hot my wife is? She hot. She's not even in here. All these points are just not even happening. <laughs> Will you tell her I said she's hot, please? 
I could really use the points, actually. See, <laughs> so that's a little crazy. It's a little extreme. No, I love my wife. Uh, seriously. And I'm willing to go the extra steps. I, I'm, willi- I'm willing to do that. I have margin. I have something that, that is built in. I'm going to have a buffer. I, I, I don't want that for my life. One moment. I'm only like five seconds away from stupid at any given moment, guys. And you're all the same. Seriously, without margin, you're right up against that line all the time. The last one is guard your eyes, mind, and heart. I think this is, this is a given one. We know this. Guard your eyes, mind, and heart. We used to sing a song when I was in, in Sunday school. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. For the Father up above, he is looking down with hate and anger. He's so mad at you. <laughs> oh, that's not what the song says. For the Father up above is looking down with love. He just wants good, thing, good things for you. He has a best in mind for you. And it's better. So be careful, little eyes, what you see. Job said, in the book of Job, he said, I made a covenant with my eyes. Make a covenant with your eyes. Careful what you're reading. Guys, some of you are like, Aaron, I don't look at, I don't look at pornographic magazines. Awesome. But you, but you look at a maxim? You're okay with picking up the Sports Illustrated swimsuit edition? Do you know what kind of insecurity that causes in your spouse? Or even in the person that you're dating? Ladies, some of you... You read romance novels, and you know what kind of romance novels I'm talking about. They ain't Disney princess stories, neither. Some of you grab onto those catalogs as they come in the mail. Your spouse will never miss them, and so you grab onto them. Anything that would arouse you visually, guard your eyes. And then, I know this just makes sense, but I'm going to say it anyway, in case you've never heard anybody love you enough to tell you this. When that stuff comes on the television, look away. Whether you're alone or not. When you're with your kids, look away. When you're with your spouse, look away. I'm talking to ladies and men. Some of you ladies think you're exempt from that. Well, it doesn't really bother me. You know what? It bothers your guy. Look away. Change the channel. Some of these shows have got so much in it, you may need to make a decision about whether you can continue to watch it or not. <gasps> I know. You might have to just say, some can, I can't. You might have to miss the conversations that they're having around the water bottle on a, Saturday, on a Monday morning about, did you see the show? Can you believe this is what happened? It's okay to be weird. Why aren't you watching that show? Well, I guard my eyes. I want to honor my spouse. Change the channel. I know it's extreme. I get it. It's not popular either. I understand. Flee sexual immorality. Don't let there even be a hint of it. I don't, I've never sat down with anybody, not ever once. Anybody who sat down and said, you know what I regret in my life most? Having more moral margin. I really regret that I didn't sleep with more people. Nobody ever says that. No, nobody ever, ever says that. 
They regret not having more moral margin in their life. They always regret that. Always. And for me, in my life, I want my wife to be assured of my love for her. I want her to feel secured in our relationship. I want her to be, feel honored, and I want her to know that I treasure her. That's why I live with moral margin. I want my sons to see their dad pursuing God with all that he has. I'm not perfect, but I'm pursuing. I want my daughter to see me live a life where I don't objectify women so that when she's old enough, she goes out and finds a man just like me. Somebody listening to me? I want to honor God with all that I am, and that includes my body. I want to honor him. He's given so much for me that my only reasonable response is to give my all for him. It's the only reasonable response. If you're here today and you're kind of shrugging this all off, listen, here's my last encouragement, and I say it out of love. I'm not condemning any of you that have experienced any or all these experiences. I love you, but I'm encouraging you don't continue living this way. Don't live like everybody else does. Redraw the line in your life. Get some moral margin and honor God with your bodies. Let's pray. Father, today I just lift up those that are in pain and hurting today, carrying the guilt and the shame of maybe some promiscuity in the past or maybe even a current issue that they're dealing with in their marriage or in their relationship. Lord, and we, we love you but we get tempted and snared easily for a lack of our moral margin. And God, I pray that today you would just, Holy Spirit, you would convict us of the areas where we've just got a hint of sexual immorality. And not, and not tell us how terrible we are. I know you don't think we're terrible. I know that you desire better for us. So in our own pursuit of what you have for us that is better, Lord, forgive us. Let your grace be abundant for us. Lord, lift the shame and the guilt of the decisions of yesterday. Father, help us be bold as we redraw lines. Help us be bold in our confession to you and to someone else about what we've been dealing with so that we can be healed according to your word. You said if we'll confess to you, you'll forgive us. But to be healed, you want us to confess to someone else. Help us be bold. Be bold and heal us, Lord. This is that sin, man, that's just so destructive and damaging. And almost every single one of us have experienced it, either directly or indirectly in our lives. Help us today, Jesus. And there are those of you that are here today, and you understand, hey, this is God's better for us. This is his plan for us. The main issue that exists here is that you're far from God. You don't have a relationship with him. And better begins with a relationship with Jesus. It begins with you knowing him. And right now in this moment, if you need to know Jesus, if you need to know God so that you can have all that he has for you, that which is better, I'm gonna pray a prayer. And I would love to include you on that prayer today. I'm not gonna make you stand up or embarrass you by having you come to the front right where you're at, if that's you and you're ready to make that commitment today, would you just slip your hand up and say, Aaron, I need to know Jesus. Would you do that now? Just slip your hand up and say, yeah, that's me. I need to know Jesus today. Thank you. Church, we're going to pray together. 
And listen, for those of you that are praying this prayer, you need to understand God's not mad at you. He's not upset with you. He knows what you did last night, and he's still here calling to you so that he can love you, so that he can transform your life and give you that which is better. Today, church, let's all pray together. Nobody needs to pray alone. Say, Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I welcome you into my life today. Forgive me of my sins and show me how to live for you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Come on, church, can we celebrate with those that have said yes to Jesus today? Man, it's a good day. People saying yes to Jesus. Now, for listen, for those of you that have made that commitment today, or maybe you're just brand new with us and want to know more about who we are, or maybe you've been with us for a while and you're ready to jump in, get part of a team, or maybe you just have no idea what God's plan is for your life. We have something prepared for you called Growth Track. We do Growth Track every first, second, third, and fourth Sunday. It's four easy steps to you understanding God's plan and purpose for your life. And we do Growth Track during second service. That's this service right here in the conference room. We'd love to invite you to join us in Growth Track. You don't have to sign up, you just show up. If you go to first service, we'll watch your kids again for you second service. Or if you don't have time for two services, I'm your pastor now and I give you permission to skip service and go to Growth Track. I think it's that important for your life. For you understand why God has you here on this earth in the first place, amen? So make a commitment. If you've said yes to Jesus or you're here with us and you wanna learn more, go to Growth Track. It's important. Step one starts next Sunday. It's the best time to begin. So make that commitment, make that decision, and you can do that next week with us. This time we're going to receive our tithes and our offerings. And if you're a guest with us here today, you're under no obligation to give. We're just really glad that you're here. We thank you for being with us. We hope you were blessed and ministered to and greeted well and loved on. As they come and prepare for you, I just want to share one thing with you real quick. Last week we gathered up all of our food from the, for the Heart Food Pantry Drive. And you crazy people donated 864 pounds of food. That was... It was a lot. And we filled up three shopping carts. We went down and got them from the food pantry. Loaded up three shopping carts full to the brim, like overflowing, plus that huge bin out there full of food. And we delivered them over there, and the lady who was receiving them, she was just in tears. And I'm not sure if she was crying because she needed to put it all away, or she was just <laughs> really thankful for your generosity. But I know I am. I'm very thankful for your generosity. Thank you for helping us continue to make a huge impact in the city of Reynoldsburg. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you so much for what you're doing in our hearts and our lives. We love you today. Lord, help us reach more people that are far from you with every dollar that we receive today. In Jesus' name, amen.